0: Welcome to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. A Christ-centered conversation that will encourage and inspire you to live a better life. Now let's join Galen Jones of James Group Ministries.
1: Hello, I'm Galen Jones and you're listening to Hacks for Life. And I'm here with my good friend, uh, Scott Rahi, And we're going to be talking about today, um, how do we know... What books actually belong in the Bible? In our last um, conversation, we were talking about you know the there's 66 like the the Bible is not just one book it's it's several books it's kind of like a little religious library or a little theological library and um, so we're going to talk about you know how do how do we know what books actually belong in there and you know I think we talked touched on you know the apocrypha and I don't know if we use these big words or not, but the apocrypha, pseudopigrapha. I don't think
2: I used pseudopigrapha. did
1: but but you can you can tell us. I what, said
2: deuterocanonical at one oh, point. Oh
1: yes, you did. That was yeah, cool. yeah, I got the chance uh, to yeah. use that word. Well, that's why I, I think I wanted to jump in and say uh, pseudopigrapha because yeah, you, you
2: needed know, to get a multi-syllabic word in there yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Be yeah. impressed. I used the word multisyllabic?
1: Yeah. Okay. Right, I'm, I'm going to use a, um, another. Right. I'll try to okay. throw in a big word. We
2: we got yeah. our dictionaries in the mail today, and we're flipping through them real quick, see if we can find new words. <laughs> yeah. So what we're going to talk about in the first little bit that we discussed last time is we wanted to just give an overview. What do when we say Bible? This this is what I mean by that. It's not just a, a just a monolithic book that was created and say, let me just write it from start to finish and here you go, let me release it. And there are people that believe that. There are even Christians that believe that. Um, but it's a collection of texts, ancient texts, and in our case, there's 66 that we consider authoritative. Um, what we would call the canon of Scripture, C A N O N, and we spent some time, I guess, in the previous couple of conversations to talk about how the Catholic Bible will include additional books that are additional texts that we we refer to that as the Apocrypha. Um, the I guess it's the Eastern Orthodox has their own version of the Apocrypha, which includes even a couple of additional books from the, over that. But we don't add the the apocrypha in the, what we I guess we could call it the the Protestant Tra- Bible. Yeah, traditional Christian Bible. Traditional Christian mm-hmm. Bible. The ones you typically go in the bookstore and you pick up and walk out with. It's going to contain sixty six different texts in yeah. it.
1: And and when we talk about uh, just for our listeners, when we talk about these different uh, translations that come out of different religious groups, we're not being critical of the group, right. just right. that uh, different groups will have a different. Uh, Translation or a different version, different they, perspective. yeah, different perspective, and yeah. and so we want to uh, respect all of those. But um, this is how we got our. our this is uh, what
2: we. This is what we. The process we've gone through and kind of the guidance that we've used and that sort of thing. Yeah. So we've talked and we talked a little bit about the Gnostic gospels that came out, the Nag Hammadi findings in different places, and why we don't consider those to be authoritative and why they are not. You're you're not going to find the Gospel of Thomas. In a traditional Christian Bible uh, or the Protestant Bible, however you say it, so the question that I guess would come up for me is, well, okay, so how does, how did, how do people know that the books that we have are the correct books, and what is the process of canonization? And you know, if you're familiar with, um, like that book, The Da Vinci Code, that made in that mm-hmm. movie with Tom mm-hmm. Hanks. There is reference in there um, towards the beginning of the book. I think it's in the before the preface. It's just one of the first couple pages where Dan Brown says, "Look, my book's a fictional book, but all of the the resources and all of the research that underlies the book is all true." And in the book, he's talking about how this Council of Nicaea, that was a a gathering of Christians in three twenty five A D that he says they were basically deciding on what the bible's going to be and it was they were they were just kind of controlling and making okay let's we're going to vote on this one this one gets in we're going to vote on that when it doesn't get in and that's kind of a widespread belief among skeptics that I've talked to and they they'll tell you that they that they they hold the view that the catholic church is the creator of the bible and that they created. it. No, this it. is what
1: the skeptics. These want. are the skeptics. This talking. is how they This is not Christian talking. Oh, okay.
2: These are people that are largely, you know, opposed to Christianity. Um, the Catholic Church created it. Um, Emperor Constantine basically founded the Holy Roman.
1: Yeah, that's like three hundred five, something yeah, like that. It's
2: about yeah, r- r- roughly in that time frame, yeah. and. This council gets together and they voted on what's the bible and the reason for it is to control the masses make sure you know i want to communicate certain information i want to withhold other information i want to control the people the populace who believe these things and so i i come out with this holy set of texts and that is how the bible came into being it's not really how it came into being there was certainly a constantine um there certainly was a council of nicaea and we'll talk about those briefly but this notion that this was just a bunch of collective people that believed in jesus and didn't really have any guidance or any structure and then all of a sudden here comes constantine and says hey let's put together a set of texts and let's decide what is going to be accepted and what's not going to be accepted and it you know out of this council came this this set of books that's really not a historical thing um but it does make for good fiction i guess you know a movie came out it was real popular and
1: Uh, The movie was The Da Vinci Code. There was also a a movie called – because I I was in uh, conversations with – I wouldn't call them skeptics. I would just say they were seekers. They were trying to figure some things out. Um, And uh, they all said, well, Galen, you need to watch the Book of Enoch.
2: I've never seen that. I'm familiar with the Book of Enoch. I know – that it is actually an ancient text, and if you read the the, the document called Jude, he actually quotes part of right. the book of Enoch yeah. in there. So yeah, it, there's a little bit of that in the New Testament. But yeah. what it, did you? So you saw the movie? Yeah,
1: I saw the movie. I, I gosh, it's been so long. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I found it entertaining. I, yeah. It wasn't really. Um, because I do think this is a confusing topic for a lot yeah. of people that are, are, and again, they may not be skeptical. Depending on how we de- define the word skeptic, but they're they're what I, what I would call um, healthy skepticism. Yeah, and in, in they're going, okay, um, how did this happen? Right. Because this is kind of. Um was this just man's doing, or was God involved in that? And right. if he was, how was he involved? Uh, so th- this is a, um, a a topic that could come across if uh well, I was at a, um, a gathering just the other evening, and this particular topic came up. The person they weren't religious, but they were interested. Okay. So they were asking. I mean, that's one step in the right direction. Yeah, you know, they know. were just they were they were curious about how, how all this thing worked, right? Uh, uh, and and because they had recently changed location, so a lot of times when we move from one place to another, we move our families and we start looking at things that we hadn't looked at before, and right. uh, that was kind of where they were. And and this particular topic came up. Well, yep. you've got all of these. How do, I mean? Gosh, that's a big book.
2: Well, and it's not helped by the fact that you've got people like Bart Ehrman, who advocates that this no, this notion of there were early competing Christianities, and they each believed different things, and it's just that the one that we see today just happens to have been the one that that was victorious, and that's the narrative that was that was sort of propagated out and that sort of thing. It's a I I think that the, the 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 hypothesis of the thesis is called the Walter Bauer thesis and. I've done a bit of reading on that, and you know, essentially, there's really good reasons to reject it. And in fact, that whole thesis had been basically rejected by theologians, and the door closed on it. And said this is nothing. This is not valid. And Bart Ehrman kind of resurrected it. And so there's a lot of this that people are still confused about today. As a result. we'll go into that probably more in a, in a different conversation because it requires a bit more detail. But um, so let me start. One of the things that I have found um, helpful is. To, you know just to find some basic introductory level texts there are some that you can get into that are really intense especially in this area you'll find that a lot of these texts have extended sections that are in actual Greek language or in the Hebrew language and unless you know that you're going to have a difficult time sort of navigating those chapters or even you know paragraphs in there but one of the first books that I read is a book by FF F. Bruce mm-hmm holding it in my hand it's called the new testament documents are they reliable and it's a little book it's not big i think the copy that i've got i'm looking to see it's got about 120 pages in it it's very short but ff bruce has everybody pretty well acknowledges that he was a biblical scholar of of the you know at the very top air top top Mm -hmm. layer very top-notch guy but his writings were very approachable very easy to follow and if you read it, it you're reading at least for me it's very interesting to read the history to read sort of how they found things and learn things and gathered things and for me it's a very useful a very useful text if anybody's interested in that. And then there's another one that's I think is very approachable by Randall Price called Searching for the Original Bible.
1: Now when you say approachable you're meaning for it's, the lay person to be yeah, able to read
2: of, you don't have to pull set a dictionary next to you and okay here's another word I need to look up. Wait, there's another word I need to. Look up. Right. These are books you can just sit back and read and and enjoy. So yeah. so let me start with a quote um because we're talking about how do we know that the 66 books that we have how do we have confidence that this is really God's word to us yeah they relied i mean it could be a random assortment of 66 you know we don't think that's true but you know how do we know that in history did the the canon just pop up out of nowhere and say oh well that's the, that's it right there well no there were all kinds of discussions and there were all kinds of groups of people that were talking about this for a while and we'll talk about sort of how they defi- how how they developed that but let me start with a quote. It's from page seventeen of um, uh, Bruce's book, and it starts by saying it's not. It is not quite accurate to say that there has never been any doubt in the church of any of our New Testament books. A few of the shorter epistles, Second uh, Peter, Second and Third John, James, and Jude, and the Revelation were much longer in being accepted in some parts than in others. While elsewhere books which we do not now include in the New Testament were received as canonical. Thus, the Codex Sinaiticus, and that's just an it's an ancient Bible that's been discovered. Mm-hmm. It archaeologists have found it. It's called they call it the Codex Sinaiticus, and it contains a collection of books. And this okay, or collection of New Testament texts. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one included the Epistle of Barnabas, and it included the Shepherd of Hermas, uh, which is a Roman work of about A.D. AD one hundred or earlier. Uh, while the Codex Alexandrinus, it's another ancient text, included writings known as the First and Second Epistle of Clement, and the inclusion of these works alongside the biblical writings probably indicates that they were accorded some degree of canonical status. I think, don't have it in my notes, but I think that Clement uh, was a disciple of of John's. I think, and so personally, I'd like to read what he wrote if he knew. John, who's the author of the Gospel of John and Revelation, and all that. Yep. I'd be interested in seeing what Clement said, but I don't think that just because he wrote it means that it, it was God writing something through him. But early on, there were these these texts that came out that at least some people said, yeah, we think that these are probably from God. So there was some discussion, and these are healthy, sort of respectful discussions. You don't have any, at least I'm not aware of any evidence of people, you know, burning each other at the stake or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. You know. Um, one thing that I want to mention is if you talk to somebody, if you talk to a Catholic priest or somebody that's in the Catholic church, they're going to tell you that the New Testament canon was actually decided at something called the Council of Trent. And that council was in the year 1546, which kind of makes you wonder <laughs> what did people use for the Bible for the first 1500 years? Yeah, um, and they And like I said, the Catholic church does include the Apocrypha. I'm going to be quoting pretty extensively throughout this section from a, a, a gentleman by the name of Michael Kruger, who wrote a book called Canon Revisited, and he has a pretty, pretty well-argued structure for why we would include certain books and why they didn't in, in different ones. So I'm going, to ex, I'm going to quote quite a bit from him. But the first quote I want to read is specifically tied to this idea that the Catholic Church came out with the canon. He said, it was not until the Council of Trent in 1546 that the Roman Catholic Church ever made a formal and official declaration on the canon of the Bible. Are we to believe that the church had no canon for over 1,500 years until the Council of Trent? The history of the church makes it clear that the church did, in fact, have a functioning canon long before the Council of Trent or even the 4th century councils. Council of Nicaea 325, 4th century councils, that's what he's talking about. J.I. J., uh, J. Packer sums it up well. And now he's quoting Packer. The church no more gave us the New Testament canon than Sir Isaac gave us the force of gravity. God gave us gravity. Newton did not create gravity, but recognized it. he
1: just discovered it, yeah.
2: Yeah, so I think that's the principle we want to follow here. It's not a matter of deciding what is from God. It's a matter of how do we determine which of these are from God. If there are writings from God, how do we discover that? Just like we didn't create gravity... We discovered gravity. I think it's pretty obvious. Whenever you don't, you can't fly away. That gravity exists, but um, beyond that, in the New Testament, we've already seen references to inspired books. The early church recognized certain writings were already were God's, well, God's word well before the Council of Trent. And there's there's references in the New Testament to this. And I'm going to give a couple of them. But first, let me give this a little, another quote by Kruger. It's on page 45 of his book. Uh, he says, from the very earliest days, believers received Paul's letters as scripture. And when we say scripture, we mean from God. Okay, mm-hmm. and he references First Thessalonians two thirteen. Uh, Paul clearly intended them to be received as scripture, and even other writers thought they were scripture. So here's the three verses that he talks about. He starts with First Thess- Thessalonians two thirteen, and let me quote that. This is Paul writing. He says, "And we also thank God constantly for this." That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So Paul's saying that his words are from God.
1: Mm-hmm. And that, that's really important that um, I, I think that we understand when we're talking about the authority of Scripture how at least Paul viewed his when he spoke. Yeah. And and there's uh there's even text, um, and the the verse slips me. It's uh, Corinthians and I don't remember exactly which one, but when he's he's kinda talking and he'll go um, he basically gives the idea that God didn't reveal this to me, but I'm saying this. He's talking
2: like, about divorce. I'm not sorry, people that never get married, women that never marry, uh, because this is from me. Yeah, yeah.
1: This and is which not he from made, God. Yeah, he kind of made that distinction when he was yeah. talking. So it, it was. It's interesting to kind of reflect on how the biblical writers. Viewed themselves when yeah. they were speaking.
2: Yep. I think that's, I think it's, I wish I, I forgot to put that one in it, but it's a really good example. The other two that Kruger uses, he says, Paul clearly intended his, his writings to be received as scripture, and he references Galatians 1. So let me, there's a couple verses here. Um, starting in verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That's a pretty strong statement. Mm -hmm. My gospel that I preach to you came from God, and anybody that teaches you anything else is going to be cursed. Yep. And then one other verse, just really quick. It's in Second Peter 3. Um, I find this really, to me, this is a really interesting verse. This is Peter writing. He said, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. And he does, or sorry, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist To their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures, he refers to Paul's writings, and he calls Paul's writings scriptures. Mm -hmm. So Peter recognized that what Paul was writing was scripture. Paul was saying that what he was writing was scripture, and so this notion that you need fifteen hundred years to pass to decide what scripture—that's the first thing that that I would want to say—is by already by the time these texts were being written, they were proclaiming themselves to be the the word of God. They weren't somehow just a neutral document that 1,500 years later or 300 years later, whatever, somebody's going to say, yeah, I think that's God's word. Let's just plug that in. Yeah. And I say that because there's such an attack on the integrity of the Bible. People will say, well, you don't know who wrote these things. They're written anonymously. Uh, all these books should be in there, and they're not in there. And people can come away holding the Bible and looking at it and thinking, um, I don't know what to do about this. And I'm going to give one personal story. Um, I was it was a church that that I was attending and the preacher was up there and he was talking about how in Matthew he was referencing I want to say he was saying this is found in Jeremiah or whatever it is and the preacher said well it's not actually found in the book of Jeremiah it's found in this other Old Testament book and he was using that as as a foundation to say maybe Matthew made a mistake. And I knew what he was doing because the way that they used to reference these things and they would collect all these these different ancient texts in a single scroll and the major book for the scroll, they'd call it like the Jeremiah scroll. Mm-hmm. So Jesus was referring to that and the other book was in the Jeremiah scroll. So he's not a, or he, there's no mistake that Matthew was making, it's just they said things differently back then. On the way home, my wife was very quiet and she said, "Well." I don't care that the Bible makes mistakes. I guess I'm still going to believe it. I'm just going to choose to trust in it, and that's the position Christians find themselves in far too often. And this was a Christian preacher saying this to her, mm-hmm. and it really took her off her game. It made her very uncertain. And the reason that we're talking through this is because I want people to have full confidence that what we're ha- that what we have in our hands is exactly what God wants us to have in our hands. It's not an accident. It's not. I think this is maybe something that we can, you know, there's far too many people that bring that into question. We don't have need to have any questions about any of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So let's continue. I don't. I want to spend some more time going through the idea of canonization and kind of how they develop that. We'll need to cont- continue that in the next conversation.
1: Okay. I look forward to it. Yeah. yeah. This is a. It's one of those um, that if if we are as uh, disciples of of Jesus, if we are to speak a good word for Jesus, so to speak, yeah. and we're talking about how God revealed it to us. We're going to come across – I don't think I've ever talked to someone that was uh, legitimately uh, – well, like, like like your wife um, – yeah. yeah. legitimately just curious about, you know, really how does this – how did this happen, yeah. that this conversation won't come up and be of uh, value to – yeah. uh, to those that are really interested in expanding the kingdom of God and teaching people about how God uh, works in our life and how He works in the world.
2: This is where so, we live and breathe every day. It's, yeah, it's it's very central to this. Yeah. yeah, very good.
1: Cool. Look forward to it. I'll be here.
0: You've been listening to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. The James Group is a nonprofit Christ-centered organization that seeks to serve the community by offering skilled, caring support for anyone in need. For help, call 972-243-4673. That's 972-243-4673. For questions and comments, email Galen at Ministries.net. That's G-A-L-O-N at Ministries.net. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another Hacks for Life with Galen Jones.